0: Communities of Sound is a 3CR curated lineup of summer afternoon performances showcasing treaty, creative women, and diverse cultures. Join us at the Fairfield Amphitheater on Sunday, February 18th, between 5 and 7.30pm to enjoy live performances from Kucha Edwards, Tando, the West Papuan Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Anjali, June Jones, and Danny Sib. Pack a picnic to share with friends and family or grab a tasty bite and bevy from the 3CR food store. That's Sunday, 18th of February, 5 till 7.30pm at the Fairfield Amphitheatre. For further details, call 9419 8377 or check out our website at 3cr.org.au. Presented as part of the City of Yarra's Fairfield in Feb series alongside Play On and Melbourne Ukulele Collective. This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, Alternative news, analysis Clap and
1: current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am until 8.30am.
2: Good morning and welcome to 3CR uh, Thursday Breakfast. Um, on this Thursday, February the 8th. Wow. Where does it all go? There's only 10 months left, really, of action until we get back to what was happening this, um, you know, two months ago, December. It seems like, uh, the year just goes really, really quick when you, when you work really hard for 10 months, but. Good morning, Grace. Good Good morning, morning, Sherry.
1: Good morning.
2: My first show back. So today on the show, just quickly, um, we've got uh, Elaine Pearson from Human Rights Watch talking to us about um, abuse against people with disabilities in prisons in Australia, a report that was just released a couple of Thursdays ago. And then at 7.45, I'm talking to a lawyer from the Environmental Justice Australia, uh, Chris Atmore, um, you know, China has decided that they're not going to take any more of our recycling. Um, and there's a big issue happening out in Wyndham Council um, with the government trying to open up the Werribee tip, which is already mm. 20 metres above ground, and they're trying to make it a little bit bigger. And at 8 o'clock, we'll be speaking to the CEO of the Council to Homeless Persons, Jenny Smith. And then at about 8.10 or 8.15, Jessica Morrison yeah, will be she's, joining us.
1: Yeah, she's coming into the studio, so will be...
2: Cool. Hopefully she brings her guitar. We can have some live music, <laughs> promote the event. But uh
1: <laughs> um, what's really inter- uh, what's really cool, actually, um, about that, um, is that she's actually giving away two tickets to this event. Ah, oh, fantastic. So, yeah. Stay tuned.
2: So what we at 3CR Thursday Breakfast and 3CR in general would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past and present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never seated and the treaty was never signed. And that's us for Thursday breakfast. So how have you ladies been? I haven't been here for a while. (laughs) Um,
1: Good, good. We've had a a, a good couple of shows. What happened last week? (laughs) Um, What did happen last week? Um, So a few things. So we talked to um, Matthew Rickardson about... um, the sort of changes to secrecy laws and its effect on journalism and the public interest. Oh, um,
2: the old privacy laws. Yeah, oh. yeah. Do so we have yeah. some?
1: What, privacy laws? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm guessing I've been seen on TV without actually approving my footage being released in the public space but hey that's okay. I don't know uh. if that
3: I don't know <laughs> if that comes under secrecy laws yeah. that might be personal privacy yeah but no. mm. I crazy. heard on the radio um that they've made some concessions yep. when I was driving in here and so that they're thinking instead of it being if a journalist um just happens to have sensitive information They look. They were looking at prison laws. If the laws part, they were looking at prison time. If the laws went through, and Mm. now they're saying that that will only happen if they publish sensitive information for national security, (laughs) which um, whatever that means. Like I'm not. I don't know. And and
2: hence my weird question about you know whether we have them or not, because it seems to be quite a. I think your face is national security. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. Um, Well, what's really um, so? Yeah, a few years ago they so around the same time that they were trying to stop the boats, um, they, um, the government passed some uh, laws uh, about operational, like not being, a- not being able to report on, on operational matters in, um, on, on the Australian border. Um, and journalists could face like up to 10 years Imprisonment, um, and so could whistleblowers. Um, don't know the exact details, but uh, it was it was a couple of years ago, and now they've got this coming coming up. Mm.
3: So it's yeah, it's and that also sort of d- getting... relates to the um, the banning of people that were working in immigration detention centres mm-hmm. in Nauru and Manus. Like yeah, it was all talking, the same. Yeah, time. yeah it was all yeah. the same thing. Mm. I think there's a high court challenge at the moment coming from the Fitzroy legal. Centre about mm-hmm. um, testing those laws huh. so people should keep an eye out for that Sounds, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens with that
2: uh-huh. Just off topic, oh yeah, I just picked up the paper um, before we go to a track. Um, you, you ladies don't have kids, obviously, but there's a <laughs> there's a there's a, a a story here about making a case for free range kids. So I I've, I've bang on a lot about this, about the society we live in, limiting kids from doing simple things like we used to do 10, 15 years ago, like leave at 6 o'clock in the morning and come back 6 p.m. We live in this society where the kids are wrapped up. In a, in a cocoon um, I know a couple of years ago there was a lady in the States called Lenore Skenazi she actually came out and did a bit of a chat about this, she wrote a book called Free Ranch Kids where she took her kid to Manhattan in New York and left him there with $5 he was like 11 <laughs> years old and said you find your own way home um, and she got canned, he made yeah. it home and she sort of said you know you've got more chance of your child being taken by somebody they know than a stranger. Um, so it was quite interesting to see that, um, there's a push now to make sure that, you know, kids can learn from their own mistake uh, mistakes. And there's professors who say, um, our students are struggling emotionally and socially because we, we, uh, helicopter parent, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know, we don't, we can't even let our kids walk to the milk bar without actually having uh, a guide and they're like 14 years old. So, um, it was it's great to see that there is sort of, um, Um, some support for Lenore to sort of say, okay, well, let's let our kids be a little bit freer, and then that way we might Mm -hmm. be able to create kids who are emotionally and um, socially stable.
3: How did it happen? Because, like, what were the things that led to that? Because I'm pretty sure that, like, crime rates and kids' abduction or whatever hasn't risen in the last 20 years or whatever. (laughs) But then it's like, how come the parents that had those, like... I'm not saying free, free. all of them yeah. had those childhoods that people nostalgia about. Yeah. But like, what were the things that now led that you can't ever let your kid?
2: She she away put it down. You? Um, she put it down to the communication, the internet, and the world becoming smaller. Mm. So a child gets abducted in Orlando. A child gets abducted in um, Kentucky. It's all on the news. Whereas 20 years ago, that news didn't happen immediately. So it's all and what her parents. And what parents only see is that a child has been abducted mm. and then it sort of the, you start to get the feeling that it 's happening in your neighborhood mm. even though it 's half a world away so and then funny. generates that fear uh. you know regardless of whether it's happening in Mexico <laughs> and uh. you live in you know Turak or whatever so that 's what she was saying that the world has become smaller um the the ease of access to news that are happening around the world is Perpetuating this fear mongering about your child being kidnapped and mm. and obviously it does happen around here as well, but not as the frequency of it now seems to be more because mm. of the news that's what, that, mm. that was her biggest thing, mm. um, but she did state that yes, as she said, like she lets she let her kid do it, um, and studies say that most people most kids' abductions are done by people that they know mm. more so than strangers
3: I feel like that 's the same for like all types of intense crimes like sexual assault and that kind of stuff it's like you know the boogeyman on the street but actually it's more statistically likely to be somebody that you know in your home or their home Mm -hmm. so so, so so our society is
2: quite safe compared to what we sort of and that's why the news the first 15 minutes of the news people don't watch it they're all horrible stories. And then before the sport, they try and put in a filler about a feel-good story about a puppy being rescued oh. down a drain, you know. And it's like, well, you've just told us the world's about
3: to end. Yeah. First thing on the news this morning was Barnaby Joyce's relationship status. Oh. right, so, you know.
1: And they've been chasing the woman down. It's like, no, chase like bloody Barnaby Joyce, who's the biggest hypocrite I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why don't you get him to bugger off out of the country, like bugs and or whatever the dogs are
2: called.
1: <laughs> hey, Barnaby. Uh, 3CR presents Communities of Sound, a summer afternoon showcasing treaty, creative women and diverse cultures. Live performances from Kutcher Edwards, Tundo, the West Papun Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Anjali, June Jones and Danny C. Catch us at the Fairfield Amphitheater Sunday, 18th of February, 5 to 7.30 p.m. Communities of Sound is a free event presented as part of the Fairfield and Feb series. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR.
0: We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, gray, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419-8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want
4: one.
2: 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International
5: Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Sentinel robo debts, for just one example. This is a public- Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly, unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brekkie for Over the Wall.
3: I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to Three C R. Please subscribe, do yourselves a massive favor. Thank you very much.
2: It's seven thirteen on eight five five AM. You're listening to Three C R. You can tune in on three Cr.org.au or eight five five AM. It's also on digital. Um, before we get to our first guest, Elaine Pearson, um, uh, recently I live in the um, Darabin, city of Darabin and I, was, I found out just by accident that there was a, uh, a push um, in Melbourne called Rename Batman organised by Emily uh, Durango who said that uh, John Batman uh, essentially duped Indigenous um, Aboriginal people into an unfair trade that they didn't understand and apparently it shows that historical records of Batman show that he was a bounty hunter of, uh, of Aboriginal people um, in Victoria and Tasmania, uh, I read that the Batman park on the corner of St. George's Road had been destroyed a few days after Australia Day, and I did, and that's when I found out that there's a push to rename um, Melbourne landmarks named after him. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how many there are, but jeez, I, I,
3: I... There's probably a few. There's mm. a few,
2: yeah, because you hear that name.
1: People people love him, they're like, oh, he was the first person that wanted to do a treaty or whatever, but yeah, he
2: yeah. not... So Tar- Taraband Council is changing the name of Batman Park in the northern suburbs of Northcote, um, and they want the Batman electorate to be renamed as well. Um, maybe they could call it Feeney Park.
3: I don't know. <laughs> don't know. What is that? <laughs> uh, David Feeney uh, is the... Um, he just retired. Batman, yeah. oh. He was the Labor MP. For their, oh, okay. So they
2: are about to have i am pretty sure they are about to have a... I'm pretty sure they're about to have a, oh,
3: I a re-election. Yeah, that was a joke. No, of <laughs>
1: course <laughs> <laughs> um, so it
2: w- wouldn't be bad I might try and get um, Renamed Batman organiser uh, Emily Durango on ne- cool. Next next week Just to um, Find out a little bit more About You know The importance And the significance of, um, of this So She said While changing the name Was a symbolic gesture It could have um, Real outcomes And she sort of said You know As a non-indigenous Australian She thinks that It's really important That we genuinely Recognise the full scope Of our history um, So maybe I'll do A fair bit more research on John Batman as well before mm. we speak to her, but I just thought that that's something mm. our listeners mm. might be interested in, um, especially because I'm a Darabin um, resident, but I didn't even know that this was happening. I just mm. yeah, I walked by one day and it'll be called something else.
3: Yeah, it's interesting that it relates to the um, citizenship stuff and Australia Day stuff. Seems that like Darabin Council is doing trying to push. proactive. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, the mayor there, uh, Kim Liseff, uh, I think she was also talking about um you know how they work with the runju people to find that they're working with the Runju people to find an appropriate replacement name for Batman Park. Um the preferred name at the moment is uh I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, Gumbri, which comes from the last Aboriginal girl to be born at the Corundack Mission in Hillsville and now out of Melbourne. Um and she later lived in the Batman electorate. Mm. So that's that's yeah. the number one contender at the moment.
0: Mm. Do you know an exceptional woman or group of women in the city of Yarra? Nominations are now open for Yarra City Council's 2018 Inspirational Women of Yarra Award. We're looking for women who make a contribution either through paid or unpaid work, volunteering or simply by being inspirational in the way they live their lives. All those who identify as women are eligible to be nominated. Nominations are due by Monday the 19th of February. For more information and to nominate, go to
3: yarracity.vic.gov.au forward slash women. So uh, you're listening to Thursday Breakfast here at 3CR. So up next, uh, we're talking to Elaine Pearson from the Human Rights Watch about a report called Abuses Against People with Disabilities in prison in Australia that was released um, recently. Hi, Elaine. Welcome to 3CR. Good morning. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, (laughs) everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that the Human Rights Watch does, please?
6: Yeah, Human Rights Watch is a global organisation. Our headquarters are in New York, uh, but we have a small office here in Australia, in Sydney. And the work that we do is we investigate human rights violations all around the world. Uh, We've done this work in 90 countries um, up till now. And um, in Australia, our work focuses a lot on issues of domestic and foreign policy, particularly refugees, um, overbroad counterterrorism laws. And now uh, we've recently embarked on a new project investigating abuses against people with disabilities in Australian prisons.
3: Cool. Um, so we hear a lot about the rates of Aboriginal people in prison, which I think is obviously really important to talk about, um, but not so much about the rates of prison or uh, the rates of people with disabilities in prison. Um, can you kind of explain what they're like, and also the intersections of both Indigenous people that also have disabilities as well?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think it would come as a surprise to many Australians that more than half the prison population has a disability. This includes physical, sensory, um, but also psychosocial disabilities, so mental health conditions. Um, and, you know, we know that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are very overrepresented also, um, but many many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have disabilities. Um, one of the difficulties and challenges in how they're addressed is really our prisons aren't equipped um, to deal particularly with mental health conditions, um, but even in some cases for people with physical disabilities. So for instance, in our report, we documented how in one prison um, for more than a thousand prisoners, there was only one accessible toilet located in the infirmary. Now, this meant that uh, men with physical disabilities had to wear nappies at night time. Um, or basically pee in bottles because they couldn't access that toilet, and I think in modern australia it's really shocking uh, to know that 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 is going on
3: mm. in the um, report, I also read that people with physical disabilities or who needed support services support um, you know from other people were getting that from prisoners themselves. Can you explain how that works?
6: yeah, so in some prisons because all across Australia, there is a real problem with overcrowding in the prison system, Um, and so staff are really challenged to deal with prisoners who have special needs and have disabilities. So in some prisons, the way they've dealt with this is by having a prison carer model, so it actually becomes a job for prisoners. They get paid to take care of another prisoner. Now, while this might sound good in theory, in practice what it means is that um, the prisoner with the disability who's being looked after is very vulnerable. They might be helped um, going to the toilet, um, with bathing, and so on. And what we found in one case is that actually the prisoner with the disability was being repeatedly raped by the person who was meant to be looking after him. Um, And in a number of cases, it was actually convicted sexual offenders um, who were the prison carers.
3: Wow, that's crazy. Also, do they get any training to do that job? Like, I've worked in disability before and it's actually, you know, quite a skilled profession. So do they receive any of that?
6: Well, I mean, they're in prison, right? So I think Mm. usually the training is, you know, passed on from the previous person who may have been the carer um, or maybe a little bit of guidance um, from staff. Um, But, you know, staff were also at pains to tell us that, you know, the reason why they have this model is because, you know, they simply aren't um, properly equipped to be dealing with so many prisoners. And there's a real challenge right now in our prisons where you have cells that are made for one person. We saw how two people are doubling up. Every time you ask someone to double up in a cell, the risk of sexual violence uh, Mm -hmm. increases because it's very difficult to know, you know, what is happening behind closed doors when people are under lockdown, often for, for 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know I think the prison system it's not fashionable to be calling for more money to be spent on prisons, but the reality is um, the system is you know bursting at the seams and it's the vulnerable people it's the people with disabilities um, who really bear the brunt um, of that overcrowding Mm.
3: in the report um, and you've touched on it uh, a couple of times just now there's some really horrible stories of sexual violence and also um, people being put in solitary confinement for long times. Can you explain some of the findings around those things?
6: Yeah, I mean, prisoners with disabilities, particularly if they have cognitive impairments um, or mental health conditions, sometimes they can find it hard uh, to follow rules. They don't really know what instructions are. They can be difficult. They can be disruptive to manage. Um, and so often for staff, the way that they deal with that behaviour is by sending people to detention units, punishment units. Um, but for someone with a disability or a mental health condition, it can in fact just exacerbate their condition if they're locked up in a small cell for 22 hours a day with very little human contact. Uh, the other use of solitary confinement is locking people up in crisis care units or safety units. So this is particularly for people where there's a risk of self-harm or suicide. And while, of course, you know, we absolutely recognize that, you know, there is a responsibility on staff to, to do something in those situations. We found many cases where people were languishing um, in these units, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks or even months on end, um, and really getting very minimal um, treatment. So, you know, it's basically like putting a Band-Aid on a gushing wound. If you're locked in a padded cell for 22 hours a day, hardly any human contact except what someone knocking on your door saying, are you having suicidal thoughts today? You know, it's, it's not going to make you better. Mm. Um, in many cases, it, it just makes people worse when they come out.
2: Uh, we're talking to Elaine Pearson, who is um, from Human Rights Watch. Elaine, um, I think you touched on the fact that, you know, there's a, a lack of staff sensitivity and training um, in relation to prisoners with disabilities. Um, and, uh, and I read that the report also noted that the, there was a lack of action following the review into um, the case of Marlon Noble um, and, you know, and, and obviously the WA um, government... Still acknowledge that there were significant failures in the case way in the way the case was handled, but no reforms have been introduced as yet. Is, is, are you looking yeah. into that? Or
6: yeah, I mean this is an issue that we've certainly uh, been touching on with um, corrective services. Um, it's the issue of indefinite detention of people, particularly with cognitive um, impairments, who are unfit to plead at trial, and so can end up. You know, in Marlon Noble's case, he ended up for years being held. Um, in a prison. And in fact, even if he had been convicted, um, of, of that crime, he would have spent less time in prison than the amount of time that he, he did end up spending there without even being charged, um, with an offence. So this is a really big problem. Um, there have been a number of recommendations. I think his case got a lot of attention, but he's not the only one in this situation. Um, there's several hundred prisoners in, in a very similar situation. So this is also an issue that we've been raising with, um, corrective services.
3: I was wondering if the um, report or research that you guys had done shows trends in like the reasons why people are sentenced to prison, like what kind of crimes people are committing that have disabilities? I mean we, although we
6: did ask some questions around that, it's really varied. Um, Mm -hmm. There were a number of people with um, cognitive impairments, and mental health conditions, who were sentenced um, for things, you know, quite minor offences like unpaid fines, driving without a licence, but sometimes um, these people, they don't really know how to deal with it, they're not used to dealing with paperwork, they might miss a court date because they don't remember, Um, and so things really escalate, um, particularly if they have already had previous charges or they've had previous stints in in prison. Um, So this was certainly an issue, but, you know, there was really a wide range um, of prisoners who we interviewed.
3: Is there um, any kind of things at the court side of things, so before people get in prison that have um, cognitive disabilities to stop them getting into the prison system or support in that kind of going through that process? Sorry, say that again. So is there like support services in courts that um, will help people with disabilities to understand the process and try and stop them from from being imprisoned in the first place? As well as this um, report, does it make sense?
6: I mean, we didn't we didn't really look a lot at the court process um, mm-hmm. because there have been a number of other reports that have already looked at issues for access to justice for people with disabilities. So, actually, the Australian Human Rights Commission had a really great report on that issue a couple of years ago. Um, but you know, we certainly know from looking at some of those reports that there are issues, particularly for for example, for deaf prisoners. Um, sometimes you know their hearing impairments are not picked up they might not be 100% deaf they might not even realise if they also have a cognitive impairment that they are deaf Um, and so sometimes this can also compound uh, the situation but our report really looked at what happens once they enter the prison gate um, until the time that they leave because we felt like this was a really under researched area it's very difficult to get access to prisons mm. um, and to know what happens within the confines of, of, of prisons. So, you know, we were very keen to to investigate this issue.
2: Elaine, you also mentioned that Human Rights Watch, um, obviously, you know, your role really is to make sure that everyone in the world is treated fairly and gets their rights. And with your report released on Thursday, you mentioned that, that Australia itself had some serious unresolved human rights problems. Uh, I know that, um, you know, you were, you were sort of... Um, There were efforts in in legalising same-sex marriage, which was a success, but obviously taking steps to end the abuse of children in detention as well. We know that there's still work to be done. How do you guys as Human Rights Watch prioritise which is more important? You know, like it's a pretty, um, it's a minefield, isn't it, about which sort of, um, what to focus on and when. Yeah,
6: it is. I mean, look, I think there's a whole plethora of human rights issues Mm, that we could be focusing on. Um, And we do. So what we try and do is we sort of look at where there has been existing work or there is existing work going on from other human rights groups and how we can, I guess, add value. Um, So in this case, we chose this project because we had um, an an established track record of working in prisons in the United States, also in France. Um, So we sort of had a body of work that we could draw on from the Mm. international experience. Um, and also, again, we felt like this was a really under-reported issue that hadn't yeah. received uh, sufficient attention. Um, with the refugee issue, again, there, we feel like there's a lot of organisations doing really great work in the space, but our, you know, best added value is probably getting into places like Manus and Nauru, uh, which, again, are quite hard to, to get into.
2: Mm. And I think, yeah, you know, the whole idea of... Um, it, it, it's, it's quite interesting, because I would never have thought of how large the population of um, people with disabilities was in Australian prisons so to, to have a look at the report it actually outlines you know what the report is all about what you found and, and sort of the suggestions for supporting people with disabilities in prisons as well which is you know a start to, to make sure that people are aware but also what is happening there
6: yeah I mean I think this is it I mean this report was the combination of 18 months of research by Human Rights Watch um, but, you know, we are very committed to working with organisations like First Peoples Disability Network, like um, Disability uh, Persons Organisation Australia, um, in implementing the recommendations and really making sure that we can put enough pressure on state and federal government to address these recommendations. Um, so we hope that the report will be something that's really useful for others in the sector um, who, can, who we can work with in, in
2: the future.
3: Cool. Thanks so much for coming on 3CR Elaine, it was really great to hear about the report.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. And I think uh, if you want to access the report, you can go to Human Rights Watch and uh, yeah, look for the report called Abuses Against People with Disabilities in Prisons in Australia.
5: The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts for just one example. This
4: is a public survey announcement!
5: Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly, unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brekkie for Over the Wall.
3: Hi, I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe, do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much.
2: Jessica Morrison coming in at eight ten, um, and, and we've got a f- we've got Jessica Morrison coming in at eight ten. I was echoing that. Um, so today we've got um, she's giving away some tickets, um, and you need to be a subscriber. Um, so make sure that you call us on nine four one nine eight three seven seven, and seventy five dollars for wage, thirty five dollars for concession. Uh, and you can pay over the phone or online at www.3cr.org.au and the tickets are for a fantastic event.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, it's uh, hosted by the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network um, and it's uh, Roger Waters who'll be in discussion with uh, Palestinian-Australian author and activist Randa Abdel Fattah and Jewish-Australian author and activist Anthony Lowenstein.
2: And Roger Waters being the Roger Waters from the exactly. infamous Pink yeah. Floyd? Is it Pink um, Floyd? Yeah. Pretty sure, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's not die straight. Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Roger Waters from Pink Forward. Yeah. He's <laughs> so a, he's a wanna...
1: staunch supporter of, um like, um Palestinian issues. Yeah, yeah. so if
2: you, if you want to yeah. win those tickets, become a subscriber, call 94198377 or go online at 3cr.org.au. It's only $35 concession, $75 wage. It's 7.40 on 855 AM, 3 au like a well-oiled machine <laughs> at the moment. It <laughs> must, must be very strange for you guys to now have three instead of just having you two talking and <laughs> bantering. Um, or, laughing. <laughs> or laughing. Or laughing. Um, recently, as recently as um, a couple of weeks back, um, there's been some recycling overflow um, in Victoria with um, China banning imports of our recycling waste Um, So waste management in Victoria, I guess, has plunged into a little bit of uh, uncertainty at the moment um, with many local councils unsure of where or how to dispose of their recyclable materials um, after a major recycling company, mainly Visi, um, pulled back on some of its uh, contracts. Um, So the recycling company, Visi, told several waste disposal companies it would cease accepting recyclable materials in early February, which is this month, citing the commercial difficulties caused by China's ban on the importation of certain types of waste. Um, so Western suburbs residents at the moment are going to take the expansion of the Werribee landfill to VCAT after the Tribunal refused to uphold Wyndham City Council's attempt to have residence applications dismissed. To find out a little bit more about this community challenging the growth of what they term the Werribee Mountain, we are joined by Chris Atmore, who's a lawyer from the Environmental Justice Australia. Good morning, Chris.
4: Good
7: morning, Dean.
2: Um, I'm not sure if you heard my long monologue there about China's um, import right, ban yeah. and busy uh, <laughs> telling several waste disposal companies about um, you know, recyclable materials. It's uh, it seems like this, it's, uh, this is a bit twofold. On one hand, you've got these waste management companies who are were profiting from moving this waste but then the most important and significant part is the communities that are being affected by this as well
7: Yes, that's right um, and um, I'm sure you know a lot of people listening will be aware that in the western suburbs um, over many years uh, there's been a lot of pollution sources and ongoing problems affecting the health of local residents not just from landfills but um heavy truck traffic, toxic dumps, you name it, you know, so um part of the reason for this case um, and why environmental justice Australia is involved is um, people are really cross in the West that they feel that they have to bear more than their share of Melbourne's environmental burden um, and in a nutshell, that's environmental justice, the sort of the idea that um, if there's going to be risk to the environment, we all have to shoulder our
2: share of that and try to do our best to prevent pollution. Uh, and I was, when I was talking to um, uh, Josh Meadows the other day, he mentioned that you know, there used to be a, a, a number of uh, landfills around Melbourne, but all of a sudden it seems like um, you know, there, there, there's, a scope, there's a proposed expansion for the one in the western region more so than some of the others around Melbourne as well
7: yeah there's actually a um it, it, this has actually been planned for um we just disagree with the with the way that that's been done and again um we think that's because the uh western communities have been essentially taken for granted in what have always been seen as safe labor seats so you know you can't imagine them doing something like that in Turag, for example um but there, there is a, a a uh metropolitan implementation plan for these mm. things and they they have actually planned um, over a number of years to close successively close um, I, th- I think it's 31 landfills we've, we've had in the last few years um, around the Melbourne area but um, a lot of them are almost full and so uh, it's been a deliberate strategy to uh, end the life of those landfills and concentrate on um, sending the waste to uh, three or four very large landfills, um, and th- and three of them are in the west, and are, are slated in this plan to go past 2046. Um, and and part of that attitude has been um, that, of course, we're all um, wanting to see less waste go to landfill and more recycling and um, avoid, you know, um, producing waste in the first place. Uh, but the problem is, of course, that there there's still being massive amounts of waste generated. So, our argument is, um, and this is where the China issue comes in, um, a lot more effort and resourcing really needs to go into making sure that Australia deals properly with its own waste and mm. doesn't end up, you know, dumping it in landfills where um, people who are already quite disadvantaged and subject to all kinds of pollution have to, you know, then cope with. Everybody else was rubbish
2: going to them. And I think more importantly, um, it, you know, it, 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 it surprised me when I read it that um, the, the, the Environmental Protection Authority had approved the expansion of a of a landfill that is already 24 metres high and it is obviously an eyesore and produces horrible smells for people who live in that western region.
7: Yeah, yeah, and... Um you know the smells have been an issue for years for for people who live near the chip um and you know they regularly complain to the EPA and um quite often they feel like they've been fobbed off uh and that um you know there's there's been some other reason given as to why there's the smell and that you know it's it's not the tip
2: Hmm. And I guess the the, the the community isn't opposed to landfill, as you mentioned before. It's all about making sure that the waste and the management of the waste um, is done properly. You know, not not that the people wherever have to accept everybody's it's waste. It's just about proper planning. And so the, the the residents themselves are sort of saying, well, let's have um, a review for for another twenty six years to leave it as it is. Is that am I right in saying well, that? Well,
7: what the, this. Landfill has been going for quite a long time and, um, uh, since the 90s. And in fact, you know, the irony is that, um, thousands of people in the West actually, uh, protested around the site where the landfill is now because it was originally going to be a hazardous waste dump. So they ended up having a very successful campaign and convinced, um, everyone that that shouldn't go ahead. So it then became a municipal landfill. So, you know, council rubbish and household rubbish and some, Uh, construction and commercial rubbish um nothing um you know horrendously toxic in itself but the problem of course is that all landfills um end up with potential pollution issues particularly with the organic rubbish what food waste predominantly um but the problem uh then um in the last few years has been it started in an old quarry so um Residents didn't really have an issue with it until probably the last five to ten years, which, because of the volume of the waste, uh, it became this mound, and um, as you said, 24 metres above the surrounding ground. So, um, part of our um, legal case is that uh, landfills were never originally envisaged as mountains. The idea was that you know the common method in Australia is to fill up old quarry sites and This is what still happens with the Werribee tip, as they, uh, as the company uh, associated with the site, um, uh, excavates holes in the ground. When council, the operator, then you know fills them with waste. But the problem is that now it's twenty-four metres above the ground. Part of our argument is that because this was not you know envisaged, the um, risks from the height of that landfill have not been properly assessed. Um, by the EPA in making its decision uh, to approve the expansion. So we're saying there's all kinds of unknowns there uh, in terms of risk to the environment and health because it's so high. So um, it's not just the amenity, the fact that there's this mountain of rubbish that you can actually see from the freeway. It's not just the horrible smells. It's all kinds of other potential problems with um, the gra- uh, affecting the groundwater... Hmm. Underneath um, the leachate, which is the sort of disgusting liquid that oozes out as a result of the rotting, Green- uh, greenhouse of...
2: gases, and, and, and I guess as you mentioned, the toxins as well.
7: Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, we're saying, look, you've, you know, you, you've, you've done uh, that. The operator, in this case, the council, has to, <coughs> in their application, they're supposed to assess. Um, you know the potential risks and have strategies, um, and and we're arguing that what they've actually done and had um, had been approved by the EPA, for the EPA to approve it is actually inconsistent with some um, legal policy which is um, associated with the Environment Protection Act, and and the reason why we're saying it's inconsistent is because um, you know there's a number of things they should have done, um, which we say they haven't, um, and. Um, you know, that's predominantly connected to the fact that this is such a high landfill. Um, that uh, uh, there's more they should have done to get approval
2: for it. And I guess uh, uh, is, uh, is the reason that it's being approved, I mean, I know obviously the council has um, some financial benefit from, from approving this. Um, there's, yeah. there's a school of thought, though, that, um, you know, um, uh, obviously Victorians produce a lot of waste, but there might be a school of thought that um, waste does matter when it's organic waste, um, which is very, very different uh, with landfill, isn't it? Because that is more recyclable, more so than, um, the, the, I guess, um, waste that you could reuse.
7: Well, there's, there's a number of issues in there, I think. Um, probably about half of the waste that ends up in the Werribee landfill is what they call putrescible, which is, you know, stuff that rots. Um. Um, there's also in the other main um amount of waste there is what they call solid inert waste. Um so it doesn't break down. So, you know, think of things like your old televisions, you know. All the things you see at the tip. Um, so part of the issue and you know, the government is well aware of this, that um it, it despite some efforts in recycling There's still a lot of stuff that ends up in tips that could be recycled um, or could be um, used to produce energy uh, or could be composted, Um, particularly the fact that about, you know, 40% or so is um, food waste, predominantly food waste and some garden waste. You think, why is that ending up in tips? You know, that seems...
2: Unnecessary. I guess um, it might have a lot to do with the fact that uh, you know Melbourne could potentially grow to you know around six million people by 2022, uh, yes. and we know that waste is obviously a social and ethical issue, but as well as an econo- ec- economic and an environmental one. Um,
7: yes, and and I think you know that's I guess that's part of why um, we're saying this is an environmental justice issue because. Part of the problem with how we deal with threats to the environment, uh, particularly in a neoliberal economic climate, is that we don't take a holistic view. Mm. So, uh, you know, the operators want to keep on going because the council, for example, makes millions of dollars out of you know running the TIP. It's yeah. the largest TIP actually run by a local government authority, um, and that is a problem, obviously, for the residents because there's a vested interest. Um that you know other people don 't want to see the rubbish who don 't live in the west yeah uh, you know, 've got all kinds of sort of uh, different approaches around the economics, but what is needed is a more holistic approach that says, look, sometimes you actually have to spend money uh, to prevent harm, to prevent harm to the community, to take responsibility for the fact that You know, here we are living in global warming, you know, with a whole lot of environmental problems in Victoria and in the state. We've got to think about health. We've got to think about social amenity. We've got to think about fairness. It's not just about cash and expediency. um, And part of, you know, why the community has made tremendous efforts to get to VCAT, because it's not an easy thing to do. It's It's a high legal bar to climb over, and it's very expensive. Um, But they feel very strongly that this is about equity and that it's about trying to do something that's fairer for everybody.
2: And and I guess, um, Chris, you know, we know that almost 99% of everything that... People buy becomes waste within six weeks of purchase. Um, every wheelie bin, you know, we produce from our home equates to 70 wheelie bins of waste from, from the manufacture and I guess production. What's the impact of this, of this China ban? I mean, everybody keeps talking about the commercial difficulties caused by China's ban on the importation of certain types of waste, but what about the, the social and I guess the environmental implications as well?
7: Yes, well I think, you know, that's, that's part of the The problem that the holistic approach, you know, has not yet been taken in Victoria or indeed Australia. I think sometimes we do have to bite the bullet and say, look, we've got to put some money into this, you know, that it's not just about what's cheapest. Um, You know, Australia needs to take responsibility for its own waste. And, um, you know, what if we had a different model where every community had its own, uh, composting, recycling, waste to energy. You know, part of the problem with the fact that there are um, increasingly fewer landfills, you know, it's not, not because waste is significantly going down, but mm. it's because those few landfills are going up. And, of course, what's happening there is that you've also got trucks that are travelling, you know, probably 150 kilometres or so in some cases, carrying the waste to places like Werribee. Um, And this is in the context of problems with emissions and global warming. So, you know, there are certain things that just, they might make economic sense, but only if you cost things in a very narrow economic framework, if you actually look at the true cost to communities and to the environment. You're not
2: saving money. And you've also, you've got your um, case hearing in May, I guess, um, you know, um, to to make sure that the uh, Wyndham Council's attempt to have their application dismissed is heard. What can we do as listeners, and I guess people who are concerned about what is happening out there with the landfill, um, do to support the uh, Western Region Environmental Centre there?
7: Look, to be honest, you know, what I said before about the case being really expensive um, is that um, Western Region Environment Centre, who are the community group who uh, you know, are leading the case, they have an uphill battle uh, in terms of um, trying to raise funds. Um, the VCAT fees alone for for this five day hearing are twelve thousand uh, dollars, and that's without thinking about you know trying to we're not being paid, but um, you know there are barristers to pay, there are mm. um, experts you know who are not cheap. Um, And, you know, any donations to Western Region Environment Centre who are on Facebook uh, would be greatly appreciated. They're a, you know, tireless but um, small group of activists with a much larger group of supporters. Um, But, uh, yeah, they they really need some financial help in order to be able to take this forward.
2: Chris, thank you for joining us on uh, 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Just to give us a bit of an insight as to I guess the scope of this proposed expansion and, and the fact that the community um, you know, uh, can't seek a review for another 26 years if this VCAT hearing goes against them. And we really appreciate you joining us.
7: Thanks very much, Dean.
2: And that was uh, a lawyer for Environmental Justice Australia, Chris Atmore, talking about something that um, I guess she sort of mentioned that if you're living away from Morribie, it doesn't affect you. But, uh, yeah, how do we deal with uh, waste?
1: Okay, you're listening to 3CR Breakfast. Um, so next we have Jenny Smith, who's the CEO of the Council to Homeless Persons. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Um, so, could you firstly could you tell us a bit about the work that the council does?
8: Yeah, well, uh, the Council to Homeless Persons is uh, Victoria's peak body uh, for ending homelessness and uh, works with people with a lived experience of homelessness and. Uh, tends to represent the views of the support service providers that we have out there right across the the state, uh, supporting people who are at risk of or experiencing homelessness.
1: Um, So you've warned recently that a flood of people will be turning to homelessness services for help Um, if uh, the Welfare Reform Bill passes through Parliament. Could you tell us a bit about this bill?
8: Yes, well, look. Every year, um, our services around the country—you uh, know—most recently uh, saw 288,000 uh, people presenting to our services, and uh, over a five-year period, that was a 22% increase. So it's going up about four and a half percent a year, with uh, very little uh, additional investment uh, in either housing or support uh, across uh, the country. So uh, with this uh, move by the federal government to change the arrangements about people who are unfortunate enough to uh, you know, lose their job or um, have a, a health crisis, um, have a, a family breakup and, and need to access uh, a Centrelink payment, to have these...
6: Um,
8: changes which from our point of view are only going to make it harder for people to access uh, that they payment that they need in a way that's going to make sure that they've got some sort of very low income and, and these incomes are very low and make it very hard for people to um, actually compete in the rental market you know we're very very small percentage of uh, properties around uh, the state are um, going to be affordable to people on a central in- income. So they're at risk of homelessness by going on the payment but to actually uh, make it more onerous to be able to apply for to make waiting times longer uh, and to uh, mean that basically it's the first thing you've got to get onto is really difficult. So, you know, when people come to our homelessness services at the moment, uh, we can uh, assist them to um, make an intent to claim and not actually get on with the claim straight away, which gives them a the date for for when that benefit would be payable. When they get to it, and we can concentrate on getting a roof over their head um, you know with some support from our services. If somebody comes to a family violence agency at the moment, you know risk and making sure that uh, women and children are safe is the top priority for us to those services at the moment. Uh, but uh, if this legislation is passed, then uh, making sure that you comply with onerous uh, Centrelink um, application will become the very first priority, not risk and, um, and safety alert. I don't know where your listeners who have uh, spent time on the phone uh, trying to get through to Centrelink uh, or in a queue at a Centrelink office will know that it's, uh, it's not easy at the moment and it's going to become more difficult.
1: Hmm. So, the, so, so the bill went to the Senate last year and, and didn't pass. Uh, have there been so? Have there been any changes since then? And is it expected to pass this time? Because I think the Xenophon team's in negotiation with. The, yes, I mean, yeah. I think.
8: I mean, I think the problem uh, is that um, you know negotiations around bills. Um, are complex and often negotiations, sort of multiple negotiations going on around different bills at the same time and that's sort of how some of the horse trading happens. But our understanding is that it is in the hands of the Nick Xenophon team uh, and that's why we're encouraging people to write to uh, the Nick Xenophon team and uh, express your concerns that they really shouldn't be supporting uh, this type of approach. And, I mean, one of the dimensions of the approach uh, is that it's sort of automatic. So instead of, uh, you know, the onus being on, on it being an exception that people will be cut off, um, you know, some of these decisions are now going to be automated and then you've got the huge problem of trying to uh, persuade Centrelink to put people back on. Um, I think the estimate is that... Um, uh, they expect that in the first year, tens of thousands of people are going to be uh, cut off. So that's uh, a huge concern, and we know that all of men- most of those people are going to end up coming to already stressed services looking for support.
3: I know um, you've touched on a few of the changes that the Welfare Reform Bill... Um, is pushing for but can you just explain um, what the changes are that they want to make to the way that people claim benefits
8: yeah well the key ones that we understand is that um, when you've been waiting for your Centrelink application uh, to be assessed at the moment um, you know your payment is backdated to the um, date at which you made the application and we, we believe that that will be abolished it will only be from when your um, application is actually finalised and, and assessed, and uh, you know that's um, very poor public policy, and really uh, will, will in the future punish people for administrative inefficiency. You know, so it's however long Centrelink will take to process the application it will determine when you your payment starts, not when you applied for it. Um, and could have had it processed uh, that day um, as I mentioned um, the way it works at the moment is that you can um, fill out a form uh, that's called an intent to claim form which um, um, if you've got a lot of other things happening on your plate like family violence or you are mentally unwell uh, having a mental health episode at the time then you know that again will backdate your application and uh, you can get to it when you are safe enough or well enough to be able to focus on that and have a backdated application. We understand that that provision uh, will be uh, removed. Um, and also um, that if people who have things happen in their lives, that means that they don't comply with all the expectations um, of Centrelink, and that can be people not meeting some of the Uh, job-seeking requirements, you know, which are reasonable expectations except when things happen in your life. We all uh, miss work from time to time um, when unexpected things happen in the family or with our health. Um, And it's really up to the employment agency uh, to make the decision now. Well, it isn't at at the moment, but uh, they can make recommendations. But it will be at the decision of the employment agency about whether you... Um, can have your payments cut up, cut off for um, four weeks. With. So I think we're going to see more and more people um, with uh, not individualised responses from single from a sort of uh, robo automation uh, response, uh, ending up in difficulties that they don't deserve.
2: Um, we're speaking to Jenny Smith CEO of the Council of Homeless Persons Jenny we um, I just wanted to quickly before we sort of wrapped it up I know when we spoke to you last year there, were the, there was the Treasury Laws Amendment Bill which was introduced into Federal Parliament but then you've got the Federal Welfare Bill um, passing how are those two working together or uh, working against each other
8: um. Can you remind me what Uh, the Treasury Laws Bill
2: did? That one was really about um, guaranteeing urgently needed federal resources for housing and homelessness, you know, and obviously it presented the risk of of funding cuts with the the government sort of committing to putting $1.3 billion towards social and affordable housing. But you also released a a press release, you know, four days ago talking about the housing estate in Ashburton. And I guess I just wanted to see, you know, what this meant for that um, commitment. Yes, but, sorry. Yeah.
8: Yes, no. I, I think about it as the uh, national affordable housing and the national yeah. partnership on homelessness agreements. But you're absolutely correct in the way you're describing it. All right. So we've got two completely different things going okay. on at the moment that uh, are really impacting on housing and homelessness. So um, out there in um, ongoing funding, we've got uh, 1.343 billion dollars that yeah. basically pays for all mm-hmm. of the um, public housing around the country. You know, new public housing and maintenance of public housing. And there's an agreement, um, which is a partnership agreement between the Commonwealth and the states called the National Partnership on Homelessness. That's $117 million that's not indexed um, that we've had to fight for every year. And that's often what I've been talking to uh, listeners about, um, that every year we've had to fight for that to be continued. Um, <clears throat> the government last... Uh, year told us that they would make that $117 million ongoing. This is all just paying for the existing services that are out there seeing 4.5% more people every year. Um, but do it through a new National Housing and Homelessness um, Agreement. Uh, and in that, uh, the negotiations that are going on around that are saying, well, you know, what can we do with that money? Um, what new ideas have we got about... Um, uh, social housing and housing affordability and homelessness support. Um, and really our view is, uh, excuse me, that uh, funding is extremely busy, yeah. um, it's paying for all of our current social housing and all of our current homelessness services and really if we start to say what could we do differently with that money while it's out there, you know, the plane's flying, we don't really need to rebuild it in the air, um, that is not an appropriate discussion. The discussion is, OK, if you want to have a new bill, let's uh, make that funding and what it's doing very secure and talk about what we might do in the future with additional funding.
2: OK. no, no um, that makes sense. And I guess the welfare yeah. is a bit... Is a, the Federal Welfare Bill is a bit different. I mean, we could talk about this all Yes, more well, the,
8: well, that's about the income people have yeah. to pay for everything, including their housing, and it's a very low amount. And we're seeing, uh, you know, a range of measures to... Uh, tighten things up, as government might say, uh, for people who are already very vulnerable and uh, often need support to uh, negotiate those systems, and it's completely inappropriate.
2: Well, Jenny, thank you for joining us on 3CR. Um, we really appreciate you highlighting that. We could have, yeah, as you said, we had two things we could have discussed with you at time. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't... we
8: can we can come back to the other another time, but it's always a pleasure to talk to 3CR. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you.
2: And that was Jenny Smith, CEO of the Council to Homeless Persons. Sorry, I I thought I'd ask that quickly because obviously on one hand, Centrelink payments are important, Mm. but then on the other... There's land sitting idle um, in Ashburton, for example, 200 units, and there's people waiting for housing affordability and, and things like mm. that. But yeah, yeah. Do, do they I work think,
3: together? Mm, I think it's like good to talk to the to Jenny about that because they work on both those kind of issues. Yeah. But actually, separating massively, like public housing and welfare like yeah. mm. people are entitled and should be entitled to both of those things mm. and yeah conflating them into that one thing I think takes away from the importance of both those issues
2: yeah. and I think she answered that which is yeah, yeah. cool let's uh, go to an announcement and get our next guest in pumped $75 waged $35 concession there's your chance to win some tickets if you want to become a subscriber
0: know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, gray, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419-8377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one.
2: 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton.
1: Okay, so now we have Jessica Morrison who's the Executive Officer uh, for the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network who's joined us in studio. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Good morning. Um, So firstly, could you tell us a bit about uh, APAN or the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network?
9: Yeah, so APAN was set up about eight years ago now with the idea that there is amazing grassroots support for Palestine all around the country, but what we needed was a coordinated national voice that would do high-profile things, lobby to the government, help do some coordinated campaigning um, and push the cause out there nationally.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah so, um, we're,
9: so we're a member, m- membership based organization and lots of the grassroots groups as well as individuals and members of apan
1: um, and so you work a lot with um, uh, grassroots organizations in palestine and australia and the
9: absolutely yeah? absolutely yeah so our our vision is to empower you know to really amplify the voice of the grassroots through our membership and to be able to create a great you know national movement that will passionately advocate the cause Great,
1: um, and you have an event tomorrow night
5: Yes,
9: we have a crazy situation So uh, in the middle of the night, after his concerts Roger, Water, Roger Waters, a.k.a. Pink Floyd <laughs> I still can't quite believe I'm saying this uh, You know, tweeted our tweet and uh, shared our Facebook post So yeah, so Roger Waters, as well as being a global superstar icon And making it amazing music is a really strong supporter of Palestine so he is playing at Rod Laver Arena this week and in between his huge stadium gigs he said sure let's do an event about Palestine and it's like whoa <laughs> <laughs> whoa okay great let's do it let's do it so you know at really short notice we booked the Athenaeum Theatre and uh, we've, he's coming. Roger Waters, aka Pink
2: Floyd, Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah. is
9: gonna hang with not, us.
2: Not, not die straits people. <laughs>
9: <laughs> he's gonna hang with us on Friday night. It's, it's kind of quite mind blowing.
1: So, so do you know a bit about the? So he's really into the whole. Palestinian cause. Yeah. Um, Do you know anything about that, like how he got into it and that sort of stuff for?
9: Look, I mean, I guess it just all fits with his politics. Um, So you have a look at his tour at the moment. It's called Us and Them. Mm. And he says, well, but there's no us and them. There's all these false walls that keep going up to divide people. And the walls, whether it's between US and Mexico or Palestine and Israel, or historically, we've just celebrated that the Berlin Wall's been down as long as it was up, um, that these walls divide us. Um, so it fits with his politics. And like anybody, you go to Palestine and it's just horrific what you see and hear and experience on the ground. So that's what happened for Roger Waters.
1: Mm, okay. And who else will be... um on tomorrow like
9: yeah so not only do we have a global superstar um but we have um two amazing um activists and writers from Australia so Palestinian author um and journalist um Randa abdul Fatah, who's an amazing woman and a Jewish um journalist and author Anthony Lowenstein so the three of them will be on stage um talking about the key issues and we've also invited questions from the audience um so we're pre-organising those, so there'll be some great audience input.
1: Oh, Um, great.
2: I've had had the pleasure of uh, talking to Anthony, I think probably about five years ago when he released his book, you know, and it was interesting, I'm just going quickly back here, he was sort of talking at the time about, um, you know, the the boycotting the divestments and also sanctions movement. Yeah. So it would be great, Great opportunity for people who are Palestine supporters to get down there and actually meet him. And um, if you've got a copy of his book, go down.
9: Yeah, absolutely, a- absolutely. Two amazing Australian voices speaking mm. to Roger Waters. Um, and <coughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
2: And, and in terms of the um, organisation, and I guess you know what you do in terms of representing pro-Palestinian uh, Palestinian organisations in Australia. What's the last six months been like? You know, especially with what's just happened. Has it been more intense? Absolutely. It's been a
9: horrific six months. So... Trump in November overturned 50 years of international law. For, you know, 50 years ago, Israel stormed through the West Bank mm. and took over it. It stormed through Jerusalem and said, "This is ours." 50 years ago, and ever since then, the international community, frankly, hasn't done a lot to, yeah. to uh, you know, undermine the occupation. But it said, "We will not acknowledge that you can just militarily take by force whatever you like," mm. and particularly not, you know, the tinderbox that is Jerusalem that's a sacred city for so many people. So nobody's ever had their embassies there. Nobody's ever recognised Israel's claim that it would take all of it. The international consensus has always been that Jerusalem would be shared. And then Trump kind of, you know, jumps all over it and says, yeah, screw it, we'll move our embassy. Mm -hmm. Nah, Jerusalem's off the table. And it's kind of like, what do you mean Jerusalem's off the table? Like it's always been one of those central things. Ever since the UN decided to get involved, you know, in its first ever week of of operations, ever since the UN got involved in Israel-Palestine, it's always said Jerusalem's going to be a shared city. So that's just kind of emboldened (laughs) the far right. Um, When the Vice President, Mick Pence, um, met with um, the Knesset, he invited all the extremist settler groups to come and hear his speech. So it's a horrendous time, Mm. um, and we can only hope that the darkest hour is the one before the dawn. No.
2: And I think events like um, tomorrow night might, uh, you know, people who d- don't have a, a grasp of uh, what is actually the situation in Jerusalem and between uh, Palestine and Israel would shed some light. And Absolutely. obviously, as you say, to have, you know, two of Australia's greatest voices, and then um, our friend rog, Roger the Dodger there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, and we're giving away two free tickets to anybody that would like, well, 3CR subscribers. Like <laughs> How about
9: when we make it two double passes? Two oh, double
2: passes.
1: Oh, hello. awesome! So two double passes um, for the event tomorrow night uh, with the superstar Roger Waters. Um, so your subscription also buys you a piece of independent media. Um, it also supports us um, and gives you the right to be involved in the democratic process at 3cr um and so uh just before um we wrap up um, how do people get the tickets what do they have to do oh well they have to subscribe
2: yeah. <laughs> well, if they're subscribers call nine four one nine eight three seven seven right now and you can even ask uh you know uh, Bern- bernie a question out there for jessica to answer but um i think it's um it's 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 an opportunity um, not only obviously for for all of our subscribers to to go um, but it's also an opportunity to uh, my dad has been to Jerusalem he was he went in 1979 True. and. Wow. Um, and he's not a very religious person, but I know it had a profound impact on his life, you know. Um, and he just said it was such a, such a strange place to visit. And mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. us who grew up in Melbourne Metro mm-hmm. couldn't comprehend mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. It's, what it's like over there.
9: Oh, absolutely. Every time I go to Jerusalem it elicits completely different emotions out of me. You know, like it's this place where empires have come and gone so many times. So it's an amazing city. Um, but I guess what in talking about Israel and Palestine, the temptation is to think that it's complicated. Yeah. But actually it's like we just need to keep it simple. One mob's occupying another mob and that needs to stop. Um, I was tro- looking on my Facebook this morning. Yesterday three young men were killed by Israeli forces. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Three young fellas. Um, and we have a military occupation. We have settlers on other people's land. There's going to be conflict and we've got to, you know we need to keep it real yeah. and keep it Simple. Though. This is an occupation.
1: We've just got to stop. Mm. And an occupation that's uh, expanding, expanding every, every day. Absolutely, yeah. and
9: is emboldened by kind of the ridiculousness, like Donald Trump, and unfortunately, the green light that our our government, you know, and Julie Bishop's given them as well.
1: Mm. Mm. Um, just before we go, there's also um, – I, I noticed uh, you shared an uh, – well, your, your organisation <laughs> um, shared an article, Al uh, Jazeera article uh, about – uh, PayPal and you also withdrew your uh, account with PayPal. Absolutely. Do you want to tell us
9: why. Yeah, absolutely. So PayPal operates around the world yeah. um, in regimes kind of that are often seen as unstable um, and it operates in Israel and it is available to Israeli citizens in the West Bank. So people right. living in illegal Israeli settlements yeah. that are occupying somebody else's land, you can use PayPal. But if you're a charity in Bethlehem, or a business trying to get off the ground in Nablus or Ramallah, you cannot access PayPal. And as an organisation that stands in solidarity with Palestinians, we couldn't use a service that so blatantly discriminates against Palestinians. So, yeah, earlier this year we've closed our PayPal account after begging with them and campaigning with them to change their policy, and there's been global movements of Palestinians and their supporters as well trying to do that. Um, So we've decided to withdraw from PayPal and we won't use them anymore. So that's our first concrete decision around um not supporting businesses that are supporting the
2: occupation and just quickly you've got five more minutes to get the last double pass one's already gone one of our subscribers has already called and uh snaffle them so <laughs> get on the line 94198377
9: always good to give something back to 3TR they just so amazing for our kind of progressive communities
2: um, I think uh, what we we might do is um, maybe go to a few community announcements and um, thank Jenny Morrison for Jessica. Sorry, sorry. We just we just, we just spoke to Jenny earlier, so I apologise. That's right.
9: Roger, Roger Waters is speaking to me yeah, at the moment. Yeah. You can, get she my can name call now. me.
2: <laughs> call me Shirley. Um, I'll be back in just a moment.
0: We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, gray, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419-8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one.
2: Okay, Jessica, can you please just give us the event details one more time before we let you go?
9: Absolutely. So Roger Waters is speaking in Melbourne with Palestinian-Australian Randa Abdul-Fattah and Jewish-Australian Anthony Lowenstein at the Athenaeum Theatre tomorrow night at 8 o'clock which is at 188 Collins Street in Melbourne. Um, The tickets you can get through our website www.apan.org.au apan.org.au, and we are really excited to have a really solid conversation about the Palestine movement, what we need to do, and why Roger Waters has become at the forefront
1: um, of the cultural boycott of Israel until it stops the occupation. And also for our listeners, um, and also for our listeners, if they want to get involved in in the future and an ongoing pro- like ongoing involvement, um, how would they if they want to? Absolutely,
9: absolutely. The movement needs so many people and we would love to have you just subscribe to our mailing list at apan.org.au. We're also the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network on Facebook and Twitter. Um, But there's always things happening and we need to, as the right ramps up its attacks on on Palestine, then we also need to ramp up
2: our resistance. And APAN is A-P-A-N. We'd like to... um Say Thank you to all of our guests. We had Elaine Pearson um, from Human Rights Watch at 7.20. At 7.45 we had Chris Atmore. Um, and then at 8 o'clock we had Jenny Smith, the CEO of the Council of Homeless Persons, talking to us about, um, more importantly, the new uh, you know, Federal Welfare Bill, which has just passed. And we've just had Jessica Morrison and still have Jessica Morrison in the studio talking to us about a fantastic event tomorrow night. Um, We'll be back again, I guess, next Thursday, ladies.
1: Thank you. Yes,
2: thank you. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the
5: basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts for just one example. This is a public service announcement! Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly, unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Bricky for Over the Wall.
0: We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419-8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one.